Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery and you are listening to episode number 58 of this uh, this show. How are you, Benny? This little old show. This little old show. How you doing? Good. 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 Well, we're re- recording this quite late at night. It's all systems go here at Jackrabbit FM as we approaching D-Day for our trip away. So we are editing podcasts podcasts furiously we are they which means that i'm not listening to every podcast before i edit it which well before i record the intro which is not ideal no so yeah you actually haven't had the pleasure of listening to this conversation yet i have not but it's a it's a cracker i sat down to talk with uh paul jarvis a few weeks ago and i was very excited to connect with him actually because i've been listening to his podcast uh the invisible office hours for quite some time and reading, I think I was, I've been signed up to his mailing list for years. So I read his Sunday dispatch emails every week. And he's just someone who, like, I get. Mm. And I was curious and, you know, looking forward to talking to him because I wanted to see if his personality, his, his persona, I guess, um, is matched by how he is in conversation. And he's exactly yeah. like you would imagine having read what he has to say, which is really quite rare, actually. So, is it a no BS approach? To oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I just I like. I, that's what I really like about it. You know, I'd ask him questions, and he's like, "Well, yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought about it because it's not like he's not an overthinker." I don't think. Yeah, it's good. I've, um, I haven't heard of him, but I looked online at his stuff and admire that he's been twenty years in the game, freelancing. Yeah. He, I mean, and, uh, all sorts of creative yeah, pursuits. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. But what, I mean, and that's awesome. And that as someone who's been making stuff online for quite a few years, that appeals to me. But what the main reason, I guess, that he's talking to us on this show is that he writes a lot about minimalism and simplicity and just cutting the crap and the BS out of things. And I really admire that. Mm-hmm. Just personally as well, he, he and his wife up sticks from Vancouver uh, a few years ago and they live in the middle of uh, like Vancouver Island, I think, in the woods. Vancouver they've, Island. Yeah, they've really made a massive lifestyle change right. as well. Uh, and he talks a bit about why they did that and what made what made them make that, that change and that shift, what the benefit is of having yeah. chosen to live a, a simpler, more minimalist lifestyle. But what I really enjoyed about it was that there was no – um, posturing about it. He's like, well, you know, I still buy stuff and mm. you know, he talks about the... So, it's most- real? Yeah, exactly. No BS. Exactly. When we talk, we've, we've said no BS a couple of times and by that we <laughs> mean no black sandals. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Paul Jarvis hates black sandals. That's it. He's just really anti-black sandals. Noblacksandals.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can find him at noblacksandals.com and you can also find him more specifically at pjrvs.com. He's so minimalistic that he took all of the vowels out of his name. Abbreviations for life. Mm-hmm. Our wonderful partners today are patreon.com and we've got some wonderful listeners out there. 36... 36 of, 36 uh, of you beautiful people. As our dog growls in the background. 36 of you beautiful people have um, kindly donated to us over our almost one year. We're almost up to our one year anniversary, aren't we? We are. Our pot-aversary. When's our pot-aversary? 
Oh, good question. It's April sometime. Yeah, it's going to be while we're away. Mm. I'll just do something special. Mm. Anyways, 36 of you, if you would like to join them, visit patreon.com forward slash slow. Yes, but for everyone who has uh, has you know donated and chosen to put some money towards our Patreon account, a big thank you because it does help us with hosting costs and things like that. So it's um it's one way that... You guys can show your support. And or Jackrabbit FM as a whole, the yes. network. So all the shows benefit from it. Absolutely. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, but I guess I would highly recommend that if you don't already subscribe to Paul's uh, newsletter, that you head over to, you go to the show notes and we'll have a link there or just head to pjrvs.com and sign up because it's uh you know if you're a creative person if you're someone who works online or wants to i would highly recommend that you check out everything that paul has to say um but i guess in the meantime one thing before you go did you want to mention um any new shows happening on the jackrabbit fm network yet or is it too early um no that i would be happy to mention those thank yeah. you thank you for reminding me we have just, when this episode goes out, we will be launching tomorrow, actually, the 25th of March, a new show called the Thoughtful Travel Podcast. And it's hosted by Amanda Kendall, who blogs at notaballerina.com. She's a travel writer and has been for quite some time, but she wanted to spend some time, I guess, I mean, talking to to other travellers, yes, but digging into their experiences. And uh, I think the first two episodes, she talks to a handful of travellers about their experiences in uh, ordering food in foreign languages and uh, staying local, you know, maybe couch surfing or Airbnb and the interesting kind of stories that, that people... Awesome. It's really, really good. And mm. she's got another one about the uh, the terrifying situations that can arise when people get lost. And there is a couple of stories in there that were genuinely horrifying to me about travellers who had found themselves lost. Uh, yeah. So a good follow up to that is what are the places where you have to get lost to really enjoy them? Oh. Do you reckon that would be good? Like Venice, I reckon, is a key one for that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's a really, really wonderful show. And if you enjoy travelling or if you maybe you're an armchair traveller but enjoy listening to just cracking good stories about other people's experiences, uh, you can absolutely check it out. So you could just head to jackrabbit.fm and uh, follow the the signs to the Thoughtful Travel Podcast or just search for it in iTunes and check it out. But Amanda's done a a bang-up job and I think that you'll really enjoy it. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy Mr. Paul Jarvis. And from our original podcast creator, Toby, do you want to have – do you want to say enjoy the podcast? Enjoy the podcast. Thanks, Toby. Hey, Paul, how are you going? Hey, I am awesome, Brooke. How are you? Really, really well. I'm um, really stoked to be talking to you. I know we kind of set this up a, a month or two ago, but it's um, I've been, as I said to you before, I've been listening to your podcast for years and reading your uh, your your Sunday dispatches, and it's really nice to actually have a two-way conversation with you. Well, thanks. Yeah, this is, this is awesome. Fabulous. So uh, let's just 
dive right in. Uh, you you write you write a lot specifically uh, about creativity, working online, freelancing, and minimalism as well, and you know simplicity and simplifying. Can you tell me? Have you always been someone who's been attuned to minimalism, um, or was there a time in your life where you weren't and where things maybe looked different to they to what they do today? Um, I think I've always been. I was talking to my mom the other day, and she lives across the country in outside of Toronto, and I live on Vancouver Island. So her and my dad were making their will. And so she called me up, and she's like, was there anything that you want specifically for us to put in the will? I'm like, no. (laughs) I I don't want your stuff. I don't want any of my stuff. And she's like, you've always been like that. I'm like, yeah. I guess I kind of have. So I don't really, I don't think there was ever a a time when I was like, "Hmm, maybe I'm a minimalist. It was just, I just don't care about things. And I just, I've never, I guess I've never really cared about things. I think where it all kind of came to a head was when my wife and I moved from Vancouver proper, like downtown Vancouver, the city to Vancouver Island, which is totally different, even though they have kind of the same name and it's confusing for everybody except the people that live here. And we moved to a town of about a thousand people in like four hours from where we are now, just in the middle of nowhere. And we were trying to sell our condo in Vancouver. And our real estate agent was like, if you leave all your stuff here, it'll probably sell faster because it looks staged. And we had nice stuff. We didn't have a ton of stuff. We had nice stuff. And so we're like, okay. So we moved to the island, to the place that we were renting. And we moved with basically our camping gear. So like, a blow up bed and like a plate and a fork each. And that, and we lived that way for like six months. And we were like, I don't really miss anything. Like one, I don't really miss television. And two, like I had my computer to work. We had our surfboards. We had like five or six things from our camping gear. And we were told like, we were totally fine for six months. And then when we did move all of our stuff over here, we got rid of most of it. We were like, I didn't miss any of that stuff, so why do we want to pick? Because it's expensive to get stuff onto a truck, onto a boat, back onto the road on the island and up island. So we wanted the smallest truck possible because that costs the the least for the, the ferry ride. So we're just like, why don't we just not bring all of our stuff or much of our stuff or any stuff? And how about that? That's um, it, I I love the process of experimenting and trying things. You know, so you guys are like, well, let's just take the absolute bare minimum and see how we go. And so often, we're like, you, we realize, you know, th- these things that we that were essentials aren't really essentials. There's genuine essentials, and then there's the the extraneous stuff that we tell ourselves are essentials. Um, yeah. And I always find when we go camping. I'm exactly the same. You know, I come home and the house feels really big and really full and it's neither of those things, but you get by for a week or two weeks with very little and it's wonderful. You know, it's it's not it's not a a difficult thing. It's it's actually really liberating. Do yeah. you think that you would have um had you not kind of had to go through that that process of living with such few items, do you think that you would have kind of made the shift and let go of that stuff anyway? Or do you think that was kind of like a catalyst for you? Probably, probably because it's not, we didn't really have that much stuff. And even a story before that was the reason we have so little camping stuff is because we bought an RV, we bought an Airstream 
because uh, we were gonna just basically going to live out of an Airstream and drive around and live in an Airstream and be nomads in North America. And so we bought an Airstream. It was brand new, off the lot. It was the biggest piece of shit. It br- I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it was a piece of shit. It broke. It was never fixable. Airstream basically disavowed trying to fix it or deal with us. It was like the worst experience ever, and we had... We bought it. We drove it across. We bought it in Ontario and drove it across to BC. And that for five days, it was great because it was, it only broke right when we left. So we brought it back right away. And then for five days, it was okay. And then after those five days, everything just went to shit. And so we were planning, once we got it home, we were planning on going on the road for about three and a half months um, the next year. So we brought it to a dealership here, and we were like, you have a year to fix it. Just fix it. And then they didn't. So at the the day before that three-and-a-half-month trip started, we just walked in, threw him the keys, and was like, it's your fucking problem now. Like, we're done. And then we went, and we bought a tent. And it's like a two-person tent. It's maybe like a meter and a half by a meter and a half. And we went on that same road trip with my Volkswagen Golf, which obviously isn't a very big car, and a tent. And was just what would fit in the car with us also in the car for like three and a half months. So even there's there's like a million stories in my life where it's like I understand or I'm shown by life or the universe or whatever that I just don't need the things that I think I might need because they just they don't matter. Like we were going to have even the Airstream. It's like a small Airstream too. But still, like we had a bunch of stuff that was going in it. And when you go from an RV to a tent, you, there's, there's less room because it's now all in a golf instead of a golf and an Airstream. So I just feel like there's there's been so many times in my life where it's just like I'm just reminded of the fact that the stuff that I think I need, I just really don't. You just don't. I yeah. think I think when you're you're aware of it though as well, I think that's half the battle. And so often we, if that might if that happened to some someone else. They would have freaked out about, yeah. you know, about the fact that like, what's happening is everything's just gone to hell and how am I going to to do this trip? And they'd go and replace it with the same amount of stuff, you know. And I think <laughs> the fact that you kind of already had that um, that feeling that you needed so much less is, I don't know, that probably would have helped. Going yeah. back to something you were talking about before with your parents and their wills, there is <laughs> nothing more likely to solidify people's views on stuff, I think, than thinking about when they pass away. I yeah. think I find it really interesting, um, you know, when if, if I often suggest to people that who are struggling to kind of simplify and, and figure out why they want to simplify and what they stand to gain, maybe think about 60 years' time, you know, mm-hmm. someone giving your eulogy or what you would like people to say when you pass away. And I can almost guarantee you that your shoes won't be mentioned and all the crap that you surround yourself with, you know, even just mindlessly won't be mentioned. And it kind of, it helps to really solidify what's important. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, have you found, are your parents kind of facing that at the moment or are they similar Um. to you? No, they they have like I I think about the my the basement of the house that they they still live in that I grew up in, and it's just like it's full. Mm. Like they can, I think they're not as bad as the average because where we used to live, we had 
It was probably a 2,000-square-foot house with a double garage. We were the only people on the street of eight people that could put both of our vehicles in the garage. <laughs> Nobody else had room in their garage, which I'm pretty sure is for cars. Because no, no, they no, had no, so- no, you're wrong. It's for boxes of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. So my parents could put both of their vehicles in the garage, but their basement, like the basement's full of things and even like it's even like the place that we moved into previous to this place they their garage was full because i know when we went to look at the place it was full and they also had a shed on the side of the house because the house didn't have enough storage in it that they bought another shed they left that shed full of stuff when we moved in and they're just like yeah we just don't want to deal with it like okay fine so we went we went through it because we're nosy and whatever we were renting the place so it's our place and it was just all like Christmas decorations and Halloween decorations and that kind of stuff. I don't know. It That's like my biggest pet peeve with stuff is like these things that you bring out for one day or for like a few weeks and then they just collect space and dust or you have to pay for them in a storage locker for the rest of the year. And it's like, I don't know. I, I don't feel sad that I don't have a Christmas tree. I mean, obviously I don't have kids either. So that's sometimes a big part of it. But like, I don't feel like a worse person because I don't have ghosts and spiders to put on my house at Halloween. So <laughs> I don't know. I think it's the, the thing that, that I find fascinating is that that stuff actually stresses us out. Mm-hmm. You know, it does. It actually does have an impact. It's it's not just out and fun. Or it actually might be fun for those three weeks, four weeks that it's out. But the rest of the year, I find people talk to me all the time, and we don't like we don't do Halloween much in Australia at all. So we don't do Halloween at all, and we've only got like a really small box of Christmas decorations because yeah. we have kids, um, and they love it, which is fine. But yeah. anything beyond that would be so incredibly stressful. And that's what people tell me time and time again. They're like, I've got these five huge plastic tubs of, of things. I'm like, do you, do you really need them? Are they bringing anything to you? And if they are, fine. But it's yeah. that kind of mindless um, accumulation and holding on, I think, that that's troubling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I get a bit of pushback from people, you know, say, well, you know, we surround ourselves with stuff because it's, it you know brings us joy it reminds us of of things it's you know it and and that's fine providing i think that it's intentional it's only when people mm-hmm. kind of hoard and collect mindlessly that that it becomes problematic yeah and even like my house isn't empty like i li- the house that we live in now we own again cuz we rented for a while cuz we didn't know where we wanted to live and like there we have stuff but it's just not that much stuff or it's stuff that we like right now we live we have a few acres of land. So like I have power tools because I need to clear that land and I'm making gardens and I'm doing gardening. So like I have things, but I would just rather have things that I use and that I value than just have things to have things. Like my living room has three pieces of furniture in it, like a couch, a table and a chair. That's it. There's no TV. There's no other stuff. There's no bookshelf or bookcases or knickknacks. It's just three things. But I still have things to do the other thing, like the things that I like, like I surfboards and subs because I surf and I, I like to stand up paddleboard. I have stuff for my garden. So I think it's more a matter of like, I don't want less stuff. I just want the stuff that I really want instead of just having things to have things. Yeah, I, I'm exactly the same. I also love stand up paddleboarding. Um, it's so relaxing. It's one of my favorite things to do. Nice. So you definitely have to come to Vancouver Island then. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll be there soon. 
I'm just going to move in. Um, so do you think that, I mean, you guys live in quite a, like a remote area now. Do you think that you're more, like people are more likely to, to live a simpler, slower life when they live away from a city? Or do you think that you can, you can do both. You can live in the city, which is, you know, by nature, just a fast paced kind of environment and still live a, a simpler mindful life. Yeah, I think it kind of doesn't, I don't think it matters. I think maybe the type of people that are drawn to living far, far out of cities could be more likely to want to live a bit of a slower paced life, but I don't think that's necessarily the case a hundred percent of the time. Like where we live now, it's mostly retired people. Like we're half the age of pretty much everybody else in the neighborhood. It's not really even a neighborhood. There's just like we can only see one house <laughs> from where we live. But like the area that we live is mostly retired people because it doesn't make sense for people that have jobs where they have to commute to to live this far away from anything. Yeah. So, and I think those people, like I think the people, like the neighbors here are kind of like they, they like to live out here because they don't like the, the hustle and bustle of the city or the noise of the city. Yeah, noise is a big thing for me. I love the quiet. Same. Yeah. Although here it's more like the, the silence is punctuated with power tools because everybody has a lot of a bunch of rednecks, so everybody has a lot of power tools. <laughs> and I mean, I'm guilty of that as well. I just got a new a new um it's called, what's it called? It's called a brush cutter. Or oh, yeah. a brush lacquer or something like that. We have. I need to clear so much land to build a garden. Like I need this. I need this thing, but it's loud. Like I had to buy ear. Pl- I had to buy like headphones that don't have any audio in them, just to like block out to noise cancel because it's so loud. You didn't damage your ears. Yeah, but I feel bad. Like I feel bad revving this thing up because it's loud, and I know everybody within like a, a couple kilometer radius can hear it, which is why I don't do it at like six in the morning or something like that. But yeah, like there is there is a bit of noise, but I think what I notice the most from living in a city because where we lived in Vancouver, we lived on the busiest street, right in the heart of the city, right downtown, like a block away from all of the clubs, and there was like a hum of the city like it's almost eerie being out of that because silence here is is like actual silence Mm -hmm. as opposed to silence in the city there's still a couple decibels of like background noise just cars and people and things and electricity whereas here it's almost like you can hear the ringing in your ears (laughs) because it's so quiet most of the time yeah that unless you're on your uh your bushwhacker (laughs) Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what made you guys um, want to move from the city to Vancouver Island? Uh, we were just done. We were done with living in a city. We did, like, I don't need to for work. And my wife can it has many talents and kind of can do whatever whatever she wants. So we didn't, we realized that we didn't have to be part of the, the rat race. So we left. We, op- we opted out. We unsubscribed. <laughs> unsubscribe from the rat race <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow i know what this episode is going to be titled <laughs> but you took your rats with you we did you did i love your rats they're so sweet me too oh, that's where my, my office is the more of a rat room than a home office yeah awesome you share it's an yeah they're video. they're not minimalist either i'd love for them to be minimalist but they're <laughs> they love stuff sounds like kids <laughs> So one of the things that you have written about 
that I've really, really loved was uh, busyness and how we use busyness as like a, a buffer from potential discomfort, you know, sitting in the quiet and actually digging into our thoughts and, you know, people are afraid of being alone and being quiet and what might actually happen as a result of that. Um, have you always, I mean, I think you're a pretty introverted person. So yeah. have you always enjoyed that or been able to, to kind of access that quiet headspace or is that something you've had to teach yourself? Yeah, I think it's something that I'm obviously, because I don't think anybody is super, maybe like some Buddhist monk is super comfortable with that and doesn't feel any fear or discomfort from just being alone with their thoughts from years of meditation. But I think I'm the same as everybody else. Like it is a little scary, but it's something like I kind of like be, I kind of like experimenting with myself and with my life and like the, the living with pretty much nothing for almost a year was one of the things I spent a year not buying anything other than food and gas. Like I like to experiment. So experimenting with forcing myself to just be with my own thoughts is something that again, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's still like, I just like to see kind of what will happen with that. So I don't think I feel any different than anybody else where it is kind of scary and uncomfortable, but I still do it anyways. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key though, isn't it? Like you, you can understand that you feel nervous or uncomfortable about the idea of just sitting and then you do it anyway. Um, yeah. Fear and action can exist in parallel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm with you with the experimentation. It's uh, that, I think that's been a massive realization for me and my husband to, to just try things, you know, don't, don't kind of give any end result to like to to either say it's a success or a failure just try things out for a while this year we're, we're trying you know little slow experiments once a month and talking about them on the pod, podcast but i just love the idea of just trying you know yeah. uh, and seeing what happens and and um i think when you take the pressure of a result away from those experiments it just becomes fun yeah, I, I agree. It's like, here's a hypothesis. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And that's typically how I like to, to do things. Even when it comes to like products and launching, it's more because there's no guarantee with outcomes. Like you can never control all of the variables with your life, with what you do, with anything. So it's more fun to just be present, enjoy the process. And then whatever happens, it's something that you're, if, if it fails or if it's a success, you're still going to learn either way. One probably sucks a little more than the other, but it's still a learning experience. You still kind of figure things out about yourself. So might as well, might as well have a play. Exactly. Yeah. Playfulness is, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. You also wrote a post about, uh, comparison. I think Ariana Huffington might've retweeted it. The one where, um, Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like, how yeah. Did she find my article? <laughs> I don't know. That's really cool, though. Yeah. Um, that no one is living the life you think that they are, you know. And I think specifically you were talking about online, but um, you know, the idea of comparison, I think, plays into well, like most of modern life, to be honest. But I think so much of the discontentment that people feel and their reasons for you know, accumulating stuff and doing things that they feel like they should be doing is all in 
in response to this idea of comparison and, you know, everyone's living these amazing lives because of what we see on social media or because of what people choose to share with us. Um, do you think that people are doing that on purpose or do you just think that that's part of life at the moment and the way that we choose to share snippets of it? Yeah, I think that's just the way society is. And I don't, I think, I think social media is an easy scapegoat for mm-hmm. that, but like, even in the, the, I think it's more of like a, a post-World War II thing. Like in the 50s and 60s, that was kind of, like there wasn't anything else. So it was like you got to keep up with the Joneses. And this was before like the internet by quite a bit. This was before people watching a ton of TV or maybe it was around the time of TV. So maybe we can blame television. But it's just kind of this thing where it's like, well, I see what other what other people have and maybe I want that too. And it's less about getting it's le- it's less about moving forward because of things you want and more about moving forward because of appearances or moving forward because you think that this is the way that it's supposed to be like well I'm supposed to have a car I'm supposed to have a massive mortgage or just things like that where it's not like I'm doing these things because I want to it's I'm doing these things for the appearance of success mm-hmm. or because I feel like it will help me be a success because I'm doing the same things as everybody else is doing. Everybody else is just barely treading water too. But on the outside, it seems like they might have a BMW in the driveway. So obviously they're doing better than everybody that has a Toyota. I don't know. I don't really know cars. I don't know why I went to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. How, how would you, I mean, as someone, I guess, who has pretty good perspective on that, how would you suggest if someone's asking you, but how do I, how do I extricate myself from that, from that race to keep up with the Joneses? You know, what do you think people can do to make that, to start making that shift? Um, I don't know. I think well, one thing is to just be more selfish and to just make things more about you than everybody else, <laughs> which I'm good at. So that's okay. The other thing is that I don't have time to... I guess I it's like it gets us a prioritization of time. Like I just don't have time to to pay attention to keeping up with anybody because I'd rather spend my time for me personally, I'd rather spend my time making things. Mm. So if I spend all my time making things, I'm not paying attention to what other people have or what society tells me I should have. So I don't know. I think it's more about finding what it's more about finding like the things you want to be doing. And then you pay less when you're doing those things, you lose track of time, you lose track of what other people are doing. And it just, I don't know, makes life a bit more enjoyable too. Yeah, (laughs) Everybody should just be a hedon basically. (laughs) You heard it here first. Um, (laughs) But I think, I do think there is so much in that because when you're, engaged with something whether it's work or a hobby or family or whatever you know when you're engaged and you feel like there's purpose in what you're doing you you don't focus on like the external shoulds as nearly as much you know and I think um work like finding work that that feels that fills that that need is part of it but I also think if people just you know spend some more time really questioning like what's important to them and living in accordance with that that would that would also kind of help to to turn things around and and make it more self-centered in a good way. Yeah, and I think yeah, people just need a little more introspection and just think about like okay, if this is what I want, why do I want it? Mm. So, <laughs> ask yourself that yeah. once maybe. Yeah, do I really do I really want this or do I want yeah. it because I think that I should want it? Yeah. 
So do you watch any, do you watch, like you don't own a TV, do you watch Netflix or anything? Yeah, no, actually, we do have a television now. We didn't for about 10 years, okay. but the house that we moved into had uh, like theater room, I guess you could call it. Like it has a projector with speakers in the wall. So we're like, might as well keep it. Like I don't. So yeah, we do watch. We don't watch any live television. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I don't, I don't have time. Like my life isn't set up to watch things at specific times. So we'll just record every, like I can't remember the last time I watched live television because I just don't have time for that. Or my life isn't set up in a way that I have that specific set amount of time every week to watch something. So we'll just record everything or go on Netflix and like just spend a day decompressing and watching stuff. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, it's so hard. Like, and we try to watch live TV as well sometimes, but it just, it never works out because our schedules just aren't set up in any sort of semblance of a routine. And plus we always forget, like I forget that things are on TV (laughs) until I have nothing or I want to take a day to just like sit and relax and chill. Then, then I'll like turn on the PBR and see like, Oh, we missed like eight episodes of this show. So let's just order pizza and watch TV today. (laughs) That's such a nice day to do that. Um, I did find like, I don't know what TV, what live TV is like in Canada, um, in Australia, it's pretty rubbish. We've been using, um, American Netflix for a long time and we just, we just got cut off. Um, they're cracking cracking down on it big time, um, here and we were watching, my husband sat down last night and he put on commercial TV, uh, Australian TV and he's just 10 minutes and he was watching it with this like look of... (laughs) terror and horror on his face he's like this is so bad it's it's really dreadful i think a few years ago we just were in the habit of you know the kids went to bed we were both dead on our feet we'd sit down and we'd kind of blob out in front of anything everything Mm -hmm. for a couple of hours and once we made that shift to not watching something unless we really genuinely wanted to watch it it just became so much more enjoyable. And we also became so much more productive because then we we do yeah. things at night. We both work, like we work for ourselves. So we work at night and then when we want to, we can sit down and watch something that's actually enjoyable. Yeah. And yeah. we watch, like we do watch shows, but we only, it's funny because we only know about the shows that we watch. We <laughs> don't, like I have no idea what's on television. Like I have no idea what the new shows are or what the popular. I just know the shows that we watch because I fast forward through commercials. I don't watch live television. I don't look at like the the TV guide or anything. I just know the things that we like to watch, and we only watch that. So we're not in, we're not like bombarded with like oh how about this show how about this show or if you like this maybe I hate that on Netflix because it's it's never right as no. well because of, because you like this you like this other thing and it's, like, it's not at all related and terrible no, i don't think i'm going to <laughs> but thanks for the suggestion anyway netflix yeah. uh no we're, we're really similar um so going back to like this idea of comparison um i don't know how we ended up talking about tv but um <laughs> that was probably my fault there is uh the flip side to this idea of comparison i guess particularly for people like us who live at least a part or present a part of ourselves online um through you know social media instagram podcast whatever do you feel um a certain pressure to uh for want of a better word like live up to the person that you are seen to be online no i think i actively try to to be just like the all of it like all of who i am mm. on the internet so like i write articles like that i think i think i called the one you're talking about apples to elephants yes. or 
like I'll post pictures of my rats in like the messy room or like I would I would rather try because I I don't know sometimes people email me they're like oh like they I get these emails where they're kind of jealous of a life that I don't even have yeah and I, I'm just like wait a minute like I'm I'm not it's I'm not that person either so I think that I I actively see that and I try to show a more well-rounded as yeah. much as I can I guess well, I guess you, you counter it really well. I mean, I feel like you get a really good sense of who you are if you, you know, read your, your emails and your articles and um, follow you on social media. You get a good sense of who you are. Like talking to you, like, yeah, no, I'm talking, I'm talking to Paul. Um, so yeah, I think you and do. I think that's, probably, that's one of like the biggest compliments that people get or that people give me is that they're like, well, you're exactly like you're writing. Yeah. That's like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was the point. So <laughs> awesome. I think um, authenticity is a word that's super overused, but I think in that particular case where you're, you know, connecting with people, it it's super valuable to be just yourself. I mean, and, and I think it can go too far the other way where people get really raw and share stuff that they haven't processed yet and, you know, living really in the moment online. And I think that has a different set of challenges and, and issues, but I think people feel better as well when they recognize that, oh, your life isn't this perfect, you know, simple, slow, in control, constantly kind of existence. It's pretty much a normal person's life. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was uh, Brene Brown who said there's a, there's a difference between being vulnerable and oversharing. Yes. So <laughs> I think about that a defi- lot. Yeah, there's definitely two different things there, but I think it's, like that's something that I definitely because I don't want to like I don't want to be seen as an expert or I don't want to be seen as like the guy above the people that pay attention to me. Like I don't that's not me. Mm-hmm. So why why would I try to portray that? And I don't feel that expertise or authority necessarily needs that. Like I feel like the way that I try to present myself and the way that I write is that I'm in the trenches with the people that read my stuff. Because that's actually what's happening. Like, I don't know everything. I'm learning as I go. And I would rather people see me like that because that's honestly, like, what what the case is. So, but I think a lot of people get caught up in this, like, oh, if I want to build an audience or if I want people to like me on the internet or if I want to have people pay me, then I need to be professional, and which is, I think, is a stupid word. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I want to be, like, seen as an authority, so I have to act authoritatively. Tell I'm more of a writer than a talker. Because <laughs> if I was typing that word out, I'd know exactly what word was, but I don't know. So I think people get caught up in these ideas of what they think they should be if they're doing something when it's not at all the case. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's that whole guru mentality. You know, people either try and paint themselves as a guru of whatever, um, yeah. or people like to put others in that that kind of box because – uh, you know, it's, well, it's a box and I guess that that's what happens sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so someone, I mean, you, you, you're a busy person. I think, you know, you've always got lots of things going on. Do you think that there's a difference between busyness, um, in terms of work and projects and things that you're engaged with and things that you want to do and then just busyness for the sake of busyness or busy work? Definitely, because I think in our, I don't think we're 
smart enough to tell the difference unless we pay attention mm. because <clears throat> I could spend like four hours on Twitter and because I'm a, a marketer, that's technically work and then like 15 minutes writing an article and then that takes me four hours and 15 minutes or I could just cut out the Twitter and write the article in 15 minutes and both seem like I'm working but did I really need to spend four hours? I don't think I could spend four hours on Twitter. That would be awful. <laughs> be I hate social media so much. But like there's – so I, I think we get kind of in, in our heads where it's like if we're doing something, we're busy. When in fact a lot of times it's just busy work. And I think there's a difference between being productive and busy work. And I think sometimes – I think it also comes down to the life that you've created for yourself because like, I like working, but I also really, really like not working. Like, I want to get my work done so I can stop working. And for some people, their work is what consumes them and what defines them. And maybe that's, that's cool for other people. I don't know, because I'm, I'm me. But for me, it's like I love work and I work really, really hard and I do a lot of things with work. But I also want to get it done so I can stop. <laughs> so I can spend time with my wife or my rats or my garden or, or that sort of thing. So I think that for me, I I don't want to do busy work because it's eating into my non-work time. Whereas some people have set their lives up in a way where it's just like the work is the thing that they're doing. And I mean, I was like that in my 20s anyway, so I totally get it. But as my life became like full of other things, then it's like, okay, work's okay, but if I get it done quicker, then I can not work sooner, which is kind of a good thing. I think and it's also just kind of going back to what we were talking about before, which is figuring out why, you know, yeah. why you want why you want to do things, why you want to make changes. Because when you've got that that motivation, that carrot kind of dangling there of of downtime, of time in the garden, of surfing, of whatever, you can use that to kind of cut through the crap that we often tell ourselves about being busy, just do what needs to be done and then go off and do the other things that, that kind of fill us up in a different sort of way. Yeah. And I think I, I'm more productive with my work when I'm not working all the time. Yes, definitely. Like if I go, if I take a break and go for a walk in the woods, then I can come back and get my work done a lot quicker than if I just try to like plow through it kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's something that, that we learn over time as well, because you know, particularly when I was at university and in my 20s, I just thought that if I ran myself into the ground and did not take breaks, then that was, you know, the best way to get everything done. But I'm realizing after a couple of, you know, breakdowns and getting super sick because I was completely stressed that that's for me. And I th I'd suggest the vast majority of people, we don't operate at 120% effectively at all, but particularly not for a prolonged period of time. And to kind of take those breaks, go for a walk, go and have a cup of tea in the sun, they they sort of refuel us in a different way, in a really important way. Yeah, and I'm I'm too old to sit for that long. <laughs> like, my body just isn't isn't good enough to to do that anymore. Like if I don't get up and move around, then I pay for it. <laughs> You're just like this kind of hobbled, um, <laughs> you know, ball of tense muscles. Yeah. Um. Two more things that I wanted to talk to you about before we go, you, you sort of mentioned before that you don't have any kind of routine um, to your work day because of the nature of your work. You know, you're produ you're creating products and then you're doing design work. And do you, um, do you have routines in other areas of your life or are you really happy to just go with the flow? 
Yeah, I'm, there's nothing. Like, the only routine that I really have is I get up and I make my coffee. Like, that's the... And I just, like, stand there and kind of let my brain empty while the, while the water's boiling. But past that, like, not there's not really anything specific that like I don't really have a morning routine other than that I don't have yeah I guess I'm just not built for I think that's why I work for myself because I don't want to have routines I don't want to have to get up at the same like I haven't had an an alarm or an alarm clock for probably 20 years because I just I don't care (laughs) (laughs) do you think that um being self-employed makes it easier to live a simpler or slower life I don't know because I've only ever been self-employed. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, that's something that I'm asked about a lot because my husband and I have just started uh, this year our own business and people nice. kind of push back. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, people kind of push back and say, yeah, but it's easier to do these things um, when you don't need to go up, get up and go into the office. And I think, you know, there's there is definitely parts of it that are easier for us now. But there's also a whole other set of challenges um, that, you know, that just require a workaround. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it will be interesting, I think, to give it 12 months and see whether or yeah. not we feel like it's, um, you know, simpler or easier or, or not. But it's, uh, it's all good. Um, the last thing that I wanted to ask you is kind of a practical question. If someone's listening to this and, you know, they, they want to make – more time for creativity or quiet or gardening or something that fills them up, something that takes them away from all of this, this busy work or this, this stuff that they need to do. What's the one thing that you would recommend that they start with? Like what's the first step or the first action that people could take that would allow that to happen? You know, allow some space and some time to open up. Yeah, I think, you answered it in the question that you asked. I think <laughs> space is required. Yeah. I think creativity thrives when you give it space or introspection thrives when you have the space to introspect. Right. So I think when we are fill when we do fill our days with um, stuff, like we fill our days with like if I'm waiting in line at the bank or at the grocery store, then I'm on my phone and I'm looking at stuff. It's like, there's no gaps. Like there used to be so many gaps where you could just basically be alone with your thoughts. And now with our tiny pocket devices, like cars are computers now too. Mm. So like we're always surrounded by stimulus if we want it. But if we just opt out of the stimulus some of the time, then I think we will open ourselves up to have the space to figure out like, okay, what do we actually want to do? Or like, what's our purpose or why? Or why do we want to do this and not this? Or why should we maybe not buy this just because somebody else has this? So I think once we start to give ourselves the space to think for ourselves, then that's a scary place, obviously. Mm. But I think it's it's a necessary place. It, it is it is really scary. And like your example of waiting in line, you know, at the bank or at the grocery store, it's... Um, it's, it's like a, a muscle memory thing now, you know, the second we stop and even, you know, people do it when they stop their car at a set of traffic lights, you know, Oh, what have I missed? What do I need? Like, why I've got to, I've got to tap in because I might've missed something or because I, you know, I might sit here and have a thought for a minute. And I mean, I don't think people think about it in such a a black and white kind of way, but we, we still do it. And And I find that once we start to pay attention to, 
to that and the actions that we're taking mindlessly, um, that's when we kind of have the opportunity to, to – I, I interviewed Anthony Ongaro last week and he talked about yeah. breaking the twitch, you know. So yep. you feel the twitch and you, you ignore it or you move against it rather than pick up your phone. Yeah, that's why I take – like two-ish months a year off of social media because when you're in it it's hard to even notice that it is like a reflex and then if you if you stop or you cold turkey out of it then it's like whoa i really wanted to like check my phone about a thousand times in the last six hours this is this is probably not that healthy or good for me or my brain could be put to better use doing other things yeah, I went offline for almost a month over Christmas this past year and the same thing, the first few days, it was a real shock to me to realize how many times I would yeah. just mindlessly grab for my phone or, you know, scroll through, um, you know, get on get on the computer to quote-unquote check something and 33 minutes later I'd be on Facebook and, you know, have done the whole rounds of social media uh, and exactly. it's just that, like breaking that, that, that habit is incredibly important. I've still not put any of the social media apps back on my phone, which has been really nice. Um, so do you miss it now? Like, do you, has the itch lessened now that it's been a little while? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, and, I, and I need to, like, if I want to get on Facebook, I actually have to sit down at my computer at my desk and, you know, there's a, about five mm-hmm. different steps uh, and extra steps between the little voice in the back of my head saying, I wonder what's happening and sitting down yeah. and actually doing it. And those steps are all an opportunity for me to, to say, I don't really need or want to be doing this. So yeah, I have it set up the same way. Like yeah. it's not, I have to actually go in and log in to, to get into the things. Exactly. No, I find that that's probably been one of the most helpful things that I've done in the last six months just to get mindful about it again because otherwise it's, it's incredibly easy and it's set up to be easy for us to lose ourselves. Yep. That's, yeah. that's what they, that's what they, they that's want what they you bet to on. Do. Yeah. They, <laughs> the evil, they, yeah. Uh, well, Paul, it was been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for, um, for chatting with me. Yeah. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Awesome. I'll chat to you soon. Cheers. been another episode of the slow home podcast if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe via itunes and leave us a rating or a review thanks for listening jack rabbit fm for your ears who is that hi podcast